0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Built to Last, brought to you by Buffer and Wistia. For today's most successful brands, social media isn't just about publishing. It's about connection. Social media has empowered brands of all sizes to build strong communities of fans that care about what they have to say. And this really matters because when consumers truly care about your brand, they keep coming back over and over again. But how do you go from having an Instagram or Twitter account to building an audience and creating a sense of community and connection across that audience? In this episode, two-time Webby Award-winning content and social media director, Madison Newtendahl will be breaking down her approach to social media strategy. Madison will be sharing the ins and outs of storytelling, how to build a community of fans, the metrics your brand should be measuring, the art of creating content that stands out, and much, much more. This is an incredible opportunity to learn from one of the industry's best storytellers and creatives. Here's Madison.
1: My name is Madison Utendahl. I am a born and raised New Yorker and the founder of Utendahl Creative. We are a branding, content, and social media storytelling agency. So I actually have an unconventional path when it comes to being in the marketing space. I started my career in film and TV. I was a Passionate screenwriter and a producer. I worked for HBO for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And then I went over to Refinery 29 and was on Pierre Gillardi, who's the uh, co founder and executive creative directors team, and did a series of video content while I was there. And really working for Pierre and working for John gave me. An incredibly strong sense of how you can take even the world's most difficult subject matters and add layers of satire or wit or being clever and tell unique stories that really were compelling and interesting to an audience. And I realized if I could do this with film and TV, why isn't this being done with marketing? Why are we looking at marketing with such a heavy, you know, by this now mentality the sense of urgency and immediacy when we know from the history of film and tv and its success that stories are really what make people loyal consumers, right? We love these movies that we've seen over and over and over again, because they have a narrative arc, because they have protagonists, because there's a hero's journey there. And I decided, well, if I could do this with film and TV, why don't I try this with a different medium? And that's when I really got into storytelling on social. And, you know, it wasn't a blink. I didn't just wake up here one day and have this company. It's been a long journey, but uh, an exciting one. I believe that like some of the most important facets of storytelling stem with three different verticals. One is, do you have a protagonist? And the protagonist can be an individual, it can be a subject matter, it can be a name, something that your consumer can attach themselves to. Is there a beginning, middle and end, right? What is the hero's journey? How are we following this protagonist? And last but not least, what are the emotional tenets that as a consumer you can connect to with your protagonist? And that is traditional when it comes to any sort of film and television entity and project. But for marketing and with brands, so many of them don't realize that they have to think of their own brands and themselves, even as founders, as these protagonists in these stories. It's much easier to want to be a part of something when you can emotionally connect yourself to something. So for example, a brand that has a passionate founder at the forefront, as a consumer, you say to yourself, well, why not? Why wouldn't I wanna learn more about this individual story? Because you can see yourself in them. So having those three things, in my opinion, is one of the most important facets of building a strong brand and telling the story. And taking a more traditional approach is necessary in order to do something unique. If you're starting with a blank slate, My suggestion is to get back to the emotional narrative and your why. So for example, why as a founder, have you decided to build this brand? And what are the emotional reasons that propelled you and were the catalyst for you to build the brand? Whether or not you believe it or think it, there are many reasons emotionally why we create products. Yes, there is an ROI, and end goal that you have in mind, but what was the deficit in society that you felt existed that needed to be filled by the product that you were making? I once had someone ask me this question, and it was for a light bulb company. And they said to me, well, what are the emotional tenants behind light bulbs? And I asked them, I said, well, why do you need a light bulb? You need the light bulb to be able to see. And when you can see, how do you feel, right? You feel a sense of clarity, security, safety, comfort. There's so many tenants that can be pulled from Why someone needs a light bulb and why a light bulb company needs to exist in this world. I strongly believe that every single product and brand has emotional tenants that you can extract, but you have to be able to be vulnerable and get to your why and confront sometimes the maybe overwhelming emotions that you associate with why you're creating this product that you don't think people would really relate to, but are absolutely crucial in order to develop your brand story. I believe that once you figure out your why, it's important to think about what are the pillars of the brand that each piece of content that I create should ladder back up to. Your pillars should be broad. It should be all-encompassing. So examples that I can give is that for a brand like Judy, which is an emergency preparedness company that my team and I do the creative for, pillars for them are education, community, and product. Right. So when we come up with content, we think about the emotional tenets and the why, and we ask ourselves, how can that piece of content ladder up to one of these pillars? So, for example, if Judy's purpose, which it is, is to provide emergency preparedness access to everyone, then an opportunity for an emotional but yet educational approach, right, because education is one of the pillars, is saying, creating an infographic of some form of how to practice breathing exercises if you're experiencing a natural disaster, right? That taps into comfort, that taps into safety, but it's also educational because it's giving you tangible tips to help you be able to navigate a difficult situation. I believe that content is crucial to building community around brands, especially because the metrics to which we should be valuing success is starting to pivot drastically. What I mean by that is that previously content really was measured on comments, likes, and follower count. So what that means is in order to be actually creating content that's resonating with a meaningful group, you need to be thinking about your saves and shares. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, When I'm saving content or sharing content, there is something deeply personal that I must feel connected to in order for me to take that step, right? There is something that I find funny or beautiful or interesting or educational, and therefore I'm going to save it and share it so that I can go back to it at a later date. When it comes to community, brands need to be thinking about who are the people that are saving this content? Who are the people that are sharing this content? And thinking about that is an amazing opportunity to connect with those people and also bring them together. So if you have your end goal and your focal point of success and metrics being saves and shares, and then you tap into those people that are saving and sharing your content, it's just a recipe to have a very engaged, incredibly loyal and hyper attentive following. It also tells you way more about your consumer. If, if someone is saving a piece of content, it has value inherently by nature, right? They want to go back to it. They want to reference it. It hit them in one way or another. They're sharing it. It's also public declaration of I believe in this or this made me laugh. This was beautiful to me. This was enticing. And therefore, that's a way more valuable metric to understand your consumer than anyone who's just scrolling and passively liking, which is behavior that we've all adopted, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. When a consumer is sharing content, it is a public declaration of a value system, or it's a public declaration of interest, or it's a public declaration of personal investment. When someone shares something publicly, it's saying, I believe in this, I consume this, I like this, this has value to me. It is a huge mistake for brands to not look at shares as an opportunity to gain loyalty and to understand their consumer. I really strongly believe that, especially now, when people are perhaps not 100% certain of how they can deliver their messages and what they want to say by sharing on social and adding these posts directly to their story is almost this like polite yet forward way of speaking their values. And the same comes for brand building. When you share a product that you like on your social channels, whether it's in your direct messages or on your Instagram stories, you are making a public statement that you really value this product or that you think this is really cool. And I think we can't underestimate the importance of that social currency. The ways that in which you can bring community members into your content strategy, it can go in a multitude of ways. But one way that as we know works it's proven success is through some form of gifting, right? If you're trying to aggregate UGC content, providing your audience or loyal consumers with opportunities to create content for your product, unpaid or paid, depending on you know what kind of budgets you're working with, is a great way to aggregate content. And it's a great way to ensure that you are getting an influx of content that even features your brand. Um, I would say most importantly, though, it actually goes back to old school salesman mentality and customer service. And that is following up, asking people who are buying your product or investing in your product, what they like about it. How did it make them feel? Can you send them samples of a new product? Building that genuine loyalty and connection in the ways that we have so many traditional models at work can be applied to social community building. It's so important to remember that behind every purchase is a human being who has a life, and has insecurities, and has doubts, and just wants to be seen and heard, And in order to be able to build a strong community, we can't lose sight that there are people behind every single dollar that goes into your bank account. So ultimately, if a founder has the ability and bandwidth to reach out directly to top purchasers, it's a beautiful, incredible, and impactful way to actually build community and makes people feel that you see them and you value them for their loyal service. I believe that feedback from your community is crucial or should be crucial if possible to understand where you need to be putting your investments and what product skews you need to be thinking about in the future. Um, reason being is that it's a waste of money if you're starting to build something or creating a product that no one is actually invested in. Think about creating some sort of loyalty program with your most loyal consumers to actually learn from them. Create, whether it's private groups, whether it's, you know, sort of like a Glossier, I think has done an amazing job of creating this loyal base of consumers who then give them feedback and crowdsource from those loyal consumers to understand, is this something they're looking for? Is this something that they want? And if not, what are they interested in consuming themselves? And ultimately, if you do have a loyal community and you create products according to what their interests are, it's a metric for huge success. I think one of the most important things is to really invest in design. There is a huge misunderstanding or disbelief that graphic design is something that can be copy and pasted and, you know, be paid for for $10 and, you know, it's fine because it it looks pretty. Graphic design is an incredibly impactful resource and tool, and it's one that is really a matter of life and death for so many brands, right? Intentionality is one thing, execution is another. You can have a great post that the intention is to be educational and informative, but if the execution is not superior, it's not clear and concise and beautifully done, then you've lost that opportunity. So in order to transition your why into it being understood, you have to invest where it actually matters. Investing in great creative talent, finding people who are excellent graphic designers who can translate your whys into beautifully designed infographic posts and mantras and, and anything that has graphic elements to it is a massive, massive opportunity and definitely a great first step if you can in making a difference and making sure your messages are very clear and seen. I believe that quality wins over quantity any day. It is more impactful to have three posts a week that are beautifully done, thoughtful, intentional, informative than it is to have seven posts in a week that look haphazard and a mess. Taking the time to create beautiful content and letting that project marinate so that it can be the best that it can be is really important. Also recognizing if you are not a news company, don't put so much pressure on yourself to respond immediately to everything that happens in the world. Be thoughtful, recognize that you're a small brand, recognize that you have You don't have the same resources as these, as a refinery 29 has, right? So therefore don't put the pressure on yourself to respond within 30 minutes to a global crisis. Take the time to do it in a way that is true to your brand and invest in the quality of that piece of content versus just putting something out there to be out there. Now there are ways to systematize this so that it can be done in a more faster, concise, and then true to your brand way. And that is through templates. So templatizing content ahead of time. So saying to yourself, what are infographic templates? What are quote templates? What are um, educational piece of content templates? And then giving yourself the permission to use those templates when they're necessary. Um, also, if you can really try to calendarize your content and think about planning content one to two weeks out if possible. Now that might seem overwhelming, but if you have pre-designed templates, it should be a matter of color rotation, typography rotation, and text, and therefore should give you the opportunity to be able to plan that far ahead. I strongly suggest creating some form of a social media brand book. Think of it as a toolkit that is a series of creative guardrails so that no matter what or who is managing your account, there's consistency and aesthetic and type. Have a list of words that are on-brand or off-brand. Have mood board examples that are on-brand and off-brand. Give whoever is managing your account as much opportunity as possible to have guidelines and guardrails as to how they create content. You can systematize every part of social media if you create documentation that provides the same level of guidance as you would if you were handing off a brand book to a new agency or to a new newsletter designer. Social media requires that same level of detail and efficiency. And there's a huge misconception about that oftentimes because we all have access to social channels. We all think we know how to use them. And therefore, we don't create the same structures and and processes as we would for other facets of our businesses, but ultimately it requires the same level of detail and attention as if you were designing a massive campaign that was living on a billboard. Not only are we living in times where people are physically isolated, there is deep emotional isolation because we have been existing in a space that's so heavily digitized. And there is an opportunity for brands to bring people together in ways that are very important and crucial to our happiness and our oxytocin levels. And it means creating environments that are introducing like-minded people or actually bringing up conversation topics that might be difficult to discuss and being that facilitator to engage in those conversations. I think that the brands that will succeed through COVID, through you know, everything that's going on in this global climate from actually from an environmental perspective and for a, you know, human rights and justice perspective are the ones that are unafraid to tap into these subject matters and who are willing to bring people together under shared values. We are living in an era of conscious consumption, And on one hand, it means that We're not that forgiving as a culture and society. On another hand, it means that there are no more excuses for brands with massive power to remain silent and be passive because their impact on changing the lives and well-beings of people is a massive responsibility that they need to step up into. I believe that if you have hundreds of millions of followers, billions of dollars of revenue, you can make an impact in people's lives and well-being. And it's a disservice to mankind if you don't do that in a positive light. I think we saw that in great ways with what happened with George Floyd and, you know, big companies like Apple and Nike and Reebok making statements saying that they stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and they stand in solidarity with all people who are experiencing prejudice or who are marginalized. And that makes a huge difference. It takes people who are maybe afraid or fearful or, you know, curious, and it gives them an opportunity to say, okay, well, if Nike is going to do this, or if this celebrity is going to make this action, then like, what can I do? Or how do I follow their lead? I think that people are more aware and conscious now of the importance of that. And therefore brands that choose to be passive and choose not to take a stance are really missing out and honestly will hurt them. It's about having return customers. Right. One-time purchases for small brands actually doesn't really have a lot of value in the end. Most brands, yes, of course, they want to be acquired, but their success rate of operating in a mindset that they're going to sell you know, in under a year for $100 million is an unsuccessful mindset. It's highly unrealistic. It does happen. You have anomalies like RX Bar for, is a great example of a brand that was built and sold Um, for a fortune in a very short amount of time. But in order to have returning customers and ones that are loyal to you that have a genuine brand affinity, it means that they really have to believe in you because they really stand with the values. You know, for me personally, as an African-American woman, brands that have taken stances on Black Lives Matter, on supporting marginalized groups, I'm going to continue to purchase from them. And I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I'm purchasing from them than purchasing from a brand that isn't saying anything at all. So for small brands that don't think that matters or aren't sure, I actually think it's more important because ultimately you need those returning customers. You need those conscious consumers to believe in you and invest in you as you build your business. And oftentimes it's a matter of speaking your truth, right? Most brands feel this way. Most brands believe that everyone should be seen for who they are and, and believe in social justice and advocating for what's right. So it's just a matter of stepping into that power and, and finding the strength within you as a brand to make that public statement. It will, it will go a long and impactful way. You have to be agile and flexible with social and recognize that it is constantly changing and brands that are going to succeed are ones that are able to pivot and adapt and evolve according to the, the world that we're living in. Great example is with everything going on with COVID, Influencers that are posting photos of them on the beach in their bikinis or you know, fashion bloggers just strolling down the street with no masks, that content would have worked maybe six months ago. And now it's not performing even close to the way that it used to because of the day and age that we're living in. So one has to have the ability to be flexible and adapt and pivot by nature of success for this platform. A tangible tip could be just to every quarter evaluate the types of content that you've been creating, and putting out into the world, assessing and saying to yourself, is this worth continuing? How do we pivot and make this exciting again for the next quarter? And in what capacity do we have to make these adjustments? Again, pulling back the TV and film analogy, but I would look at every quarter almost like a season for your brand. What are we doing for next season? Obviously, there are characters that are going to continue on to season two ever in season one, but they're gonna change and they're gonna evolve, right? Because in order to be captivating and interesting and exciting to our viewer, there has to be a new storyline. And that's how we need to be thinking about social content as well. What is happening in Q1? How does that play into Q2? What is the evolution of this character or this franchise or this type piece of content that we're putting out? And how do we make sure that our viewer and our audience is still interested and hooked by the constant evolution?
0: Thanks so much to Madison for joining us here on Built to Last. After these last couple of episodes, it feels clear that as marketing becomes more focused on attention over awareness, we can learn a lot from TV, film, and media. I love Madison's closing note. The concept of looking at every quarter like a TV season for your brand feels incredibly powerful. The world moves so fast. And though your brand vision and mission might stay the same each quarter, the way you tell your story should evolve and change over time to keep your audience engaged. In the next episode, we're joined by Recess founder Benjamin Witte and Nick Sharma, an advisor to some of the fastest growing brands in commerce. Benjamin and Nick will be having an unscripted conversation on building brands, content strategies, and crafting content that stands out on social feeds. Catch you next episode.